This is a LifeGate Church podcast. Tune in to hear from our team as we encourage you to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. If you want to find out more about who we are, visit lifegate.org.au. Well, friends, about 12 and a half years ago, 12 and a half years ago, my son Aiden was born. Now, Aiden's, Aiden's one of the people getting baptized next Sunday. I don't know. So we said, Aiden, no pressure. But if you like to get baptized, and then we try to, and he said, yeah, I want to do it. Then we try to talk him out of it, but he still wants to do it. Because I want to make sure it's his decision and he's serious about his faith in Jesus. So he's getting baptized next week. So that's, that's, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool? Well, here's another picture of him when he was about two. Bob the Builder. And the uh, pictures are about to get smaller. Aiden um, was overdue. He was one of those babies that liked mum's tummy. And so he was due about the 11th of December, but he was 10 days overdue. We uh, went into hospital 7 a.m. in the morning. Whatever, how many days? Does it really matter how many days? Of course it matters. This is, this is the men's version of events. Men, does it matter how many days? No, so let's move on. Right. I, I should have checked before I spoke, you know, all those sort of things. So... Ten days, eight days, some, he was overdue, and we got into the hospital, 7 a.m., Bankstown Hospital, and Michelle was going to be induced. We had the, our, the, our nurse, the midwife, and she hooked up Michelle to the machine so that the chemicals, drugs, whatever they do to make the baby come out um, started to work. And, and we asked the midwife, we said, so how long is this going to take? And she said, oh, I reckon you'll be done by the end of our shift. By about 3 o'clock, the baby should be out. I'm thinking, you beauty. 8 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, baby's out. That's pretty good. Well, it was a pretty chaotic time, those uh, few hours till 3 o'clock. And 3 o'clock came and went. And then 4 o'clock came and the uh, nurses did their shift change. And then 5 o'clock and then 7 o'clock and then 10 o'clock and the nurses did their shift change. And then we got to about midnight and the doctor came in and said, we have an emergency here. He needs to come out now. He's stuck. He ain't getting out. So Michelle raced into the, we raced her in. I didn't race her in. They raced her in. They put those things on me in my feet and we went into the operating theatre and out comes little Aiden. And there's Michelle on the operating table. Aiden's about five minutes old there. Now, the, uh, the uh, reason I tell that story is because it didn't go like we expected. <laughs> there was a disconnect between what the nurse said, three o'clock in the afternoon, baby out, everything healthy, normal birth, to what actually happened, a C-section late at night. Michelle didn't cope real well. Um, praise God, all okay. Um, but there was a big difference between what we expected and what we actually got. This morning, I want to talk to you about Living in the disconnect. What do I mean by that? Where we are living with an expectation, we are living in a hope that something's going to happen, and yet we haven't seen that thing that we're looking for yet. We're living in the disconnect. And I reckon there are, there are times in our lives where we go through seasons where we're believing for something, and we're expecting it to happen now, but it hasn't happened yet. And so we're living in this season of disconnect. And it's also true with our relationship with God. We can believe God for things. We can read his word. We can understand his character. And we can believe that God is going to act in certain ways in our lives. And we're believing for things, but sometimes we don't see what we're hoping for. We can live in the disconnect. 
Now, let me give you some examples of, of, of what I mean by this. If you're a person here this morning and, you, and you're single and your desire is to get married, you could be living in the disconnect right now. You could be desiring to get married. You're like, God, I want to get married. Who is the person I'm going to marry? And that person has not yet turned up yet. You read God's word, and God's word says in Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone, so God made someone to be his partner. And so you see that marriage is part of God's plan, and yet you're not seeing marriage in your life, so you're living in the disconnect. Maybe you're in a, um, financially, and Sam talked about people who are struggling. I'm giving my car keys. People who are giving, um, who, are, who are struggling in, in the area of finance. And you read God's word, and it says that God is going to supply all your needs according to his riches that are in glory. There is a promise for us in scripture. And yet you're looking at your day-to-day, your week-to-week, and you're running out of like that expression you said about the month and the money, and you got it around the other way. That was a clever way of saying it. That you're going, how am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to meet this need this week? And yet you read the promise of Scripture and then you're living in the disconnect. Maybe it's your health. You've got some physical sickness, disease that's going on in your body. And you read the Scriptures and you see healing in the atonement, meaning when, when our Jesus died on the cross, he died for all sin, he died for all sickness, he, died, he, he covered death. In Matthew 8, quotes Isaiah, it's by his stripes that we've been healed. And, and, and you believe the promise of God that there's healing through Jesus. And yet, you're not seeing that healing in your life. You're living in the disconnect. Maybe you, you want to have kids. You, you're married. You've been married for a while and you're trying for kids and you haven't had them yet. And you see that kids are a blessing from the Lord. You see in the the creation accounts that it's God's desire that he wants us to multiply and fill the earth and and kids is part of his plan. And yet, that's not your experience. So you're living in the disconnect. Or maybe your kids have grown up. They're in their teenage years or in their 20s or 30s. and And you took them to church as a child. And you taught them the ways of God. And you quote that scripture that in Proverbs Train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. And yet you see your kid now, and your kid's not walking with the Lord. And so you're in this disconnect between what you see in Scripture and what you're seeing in your kids' lives. Maybe there's some sort of addiction that you have. There's some sort of habit that you can't break. You see in Jesus that there is freedom. Jesus says by, your, by his truth that he will set you free. You see in Luke chapter 4 that he's come to set the oppressed free and, you, and you've got these habits and addictions in your life and that you're claiming freedom in Christ and asking God to meet you, but you haven't got there, haven't got there yet. Friends, you're living in the disconnect. Or maybe you have these unsafe family and friends that you, that, that you deeply care about. And in the scripture, you read that it's God's will for everyone to come to repentance, for everybody to come to salvation. And you're praying and you're sharing and you haven't seen this person come to Jesus yet. And so you're living in the disconnect. I wonder where your disconnect is this morning. Where are you living in the disconnect? I want to talk about how to live in the disconnect this morning. A perfect example of someone who lived in the, in the, in the disconnect is a guy named John the Baptist from Matthew chapter 11, if you've got the Matthew chapter 11, if you've got your Bibles. Matthew chapter 11, we, we, are, we are read the story of John, John the Baptist being in prison. 
And he was believing Jesus for, to be rescued, so it, so it seems. And, he, and Jesus wasn't acting in the way that he expected. And so from John's perspective, he, Jesus wasn't, in, wasn't acting in the way that he should. Therefore, he's living in the disconnect. Let's look at the scripture together. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Are, we, are you with me this morning? Yeah. We'll get some blank faces. Am I making sense? Do you understand what I mean by living in the disconnect? Yeah, good. Let's go hit him. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask Jesus. So John had disciples. If you're a teacher at the time, um, people followed you. Disciple means follower. So John had followers and they sent his, John's followers to Jesus, the Messiah, to ask him the question, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is anyone, verse 6, very important. Blessed is anyone who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does not fall away, who does not stumble, who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus is doing all these miracles, and John's in prison. John's hearing about all that Jesus is doing, all that Jesus is saying, that he's the son of God, that he's come to release the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, release the oppressed. And John's thinking, hang on, I'm in prison. Why aren't I free? Are you really the one, Jesus? Because his circumstance didn't match up with what he believed about who Jesus was. So he questions who Jesus is. Are you really the one? Are you the the one I should be putting my faith in? Now let's spend a bit of time talking about who John the Baptist is. The very next verse, Jesus talks about who John the Baptist is from verse 7. This is what it says. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What What did you go out to see in the wilderness? What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? And this is how Jesus describes John the Baptist. A prophet, yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it's written. Quoting Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, some 430 years earlier, Malachi writes about someone who's going to come and prepare the way of the Lord. And that's John the Baptist. And Jesus says, this is the guy that Malachi spoke about. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Why is he greater? Because he's the one who's proclaimed that this is the Messiah. He is the prophet before the Messiah. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven, that's me and you, friends, if you're a believer this morning, is greater than he. There's another whole message. We're greater than John the Baptist if you're in Christ. How cool is that? Here, Jesus describes John the Baptist as a prophet, a great prophet, one who was prophesied in the Old Testament, the greatest person who has ever lived because he got people ready for Jesus. But then on the other side of that, there is John's experience. 
Each gospel has the um, some of the story of John the Baptist. John, we are told that John the Baptist is preaching, repent, change your ways, because the Lord is coming and he's baptizing people. He's asked by the religious leaders, they say to him, John, are you the Messiah? And this is how, this is how John the Baptist responds. The people were waiting expect, expectantly and were, and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his dressing fork and to gather the reed into his bath, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. In other words, John the Baptist is saying, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not even worthy to do his shoelaces up, but he's coming. Then after this, Jesus comes and John has the opportunity to baptize him. As Jesus comes up out of the water, we hear the voice, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. He has this incredible experience, incredible experience. The next day in John chapter one, John the Baptist sees Jesus walking and he tells his disciples, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And at that, two of his disciples stopped following him and went and started to follow Jesus. John the Baptist knew who he was. John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. John the Baptist had these experiences of God. But then John the Baptist ends up in prison. And this is what we read here in Luke chapter 3. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, that is Herod of Antipas, Herod Antipas, ruler of Galilee, because of his marriage with Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he'd done, Herod added this to them all. He locked up John in prison. This is what happened. John saw that Herod Antipas from Galilee had done the wrong thing. Herod Antipas apparently went to Rome, met his brother's wife, went, she's a bit of all right, chose to divorce his wife, to lure his brother's wife and marry her. You got that? So he married his, married his sister-in-law. Does that make sense? Look out. Look out. <laughs> that was my brother saying that to my wife. That's dodgy, isn't it? Look out. Look out. Look out. Look out. And so John's in prison. And John's in prison. And in prison... He's no doubt heard the stories of what Jesus is doing. He's heard the miracles. He's heard that Jesus has come to set captives free. He's healing people, set, re- releasing them from oppression. And in this moment, John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus and says, Jesus, are you really the one? Or should we expect someone else? Now, let me tell you a funny story about this one. For those who are laughing, you've heard this story before. Well, a few months ago, my brother, who just yelled out and and inappropriately about my wife, this is payback time, um, busted busted his ankle playing, um, broke his leg in four places, playing soccer, taking up the hospital on a Saturday. We had church the next day, and then we'd better go visit him, because that's what you're supposed to do, isn't it, for your brother? Yeah, better go visit him. Only kidding, we wanted to go visit him in hospital. So we decided we're going to go. So we ring the hospital because I know he'd be doing tests and operations. Is it, is it a good time to come? And I think I spoke to my sister or someone and they said, yeah, he's, he, he's in bed and he has Katie here. Went, oh, so we heard about this girl named Katie. 
She was a mysterious lady that I could have met, and the family hadn't met her yet. And I'm thinking, if she's at the hospital, you beauty, we're going to meet her. You beauty. So in the car on the way, we're going, what are we going to say to this Katie, a lady we've never met before? So Aiden comes up with the idea of this. I said, let's call her Auntie Katie to begin with. Right? So Aiden, so my son, comes up with the idea to say, hi, Auntie Katie, when you have kids, can you name your first kid after me? Right? And then we talked about some other things, and my wife comes up with this most brilliant thought. She says, you should say this to Katie. So I said, hi, Katie, I'm Nathan. So in the words of John the Baptist, are you the one, or should we be expecting somebody else? <laughs> Was that good or was that good? That was good. And, she, and, and for her to date Kurt, she must be pretty tough to deal with Kurt, I reckon. And so she handled it really well. She said, well, you have to ask him that. She did say, well, very good answer. So men, if you're looking up a Christian pickup line, in the words of John the Baptist, are you the one or should, we be, should I be expecting somebody else? Not going to work. Good story. Funny story. Back to the text. Back to the text. So John the Baptist... So John the Baptist asked this question, are you the one, are you, ask Jesus if he's the one, or should, he, should we expect someone else? John the Baptist didn't act in the way that he, sorry, John the Baptist expected, to Jesus, expected Jesus to act in a certain way, and Jesus didn't act in the way that John thought. We can assume that John thought he was going to set him free from prison. And the way he was going to do that is that he was going to become king. Most people at the time, Jesus' own disciples, the religious leaders, even John the Baptist most likely, had a view of the Messiah like King David. They expected an all-conquering, powerful king to come and, sit up and set up his rule and reign over Israel like David did. And the reason they thought that is because of what the Old Testament said. In 1 Chronicles chapter 17, God speaks to King David, and this is what he says. I declare to you, David, that the Lord will build a house for you. When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house in my name. That's talking about Solomon. But it's also talking about Jesus, God's house, his body, the body of Christ, the church. And I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. And I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will never end. So if, you, if you're at the time of Jesus and you're looking for your Messiah, you read that verse, you go, hang on a second. This is written... Uh, eight, nine hundred, no, a thousand years, a thousand years before Jesus was born, you're thinking that your Messiah is going to be a king like David. And when the Israelites think of David, they think of the greatest king they've ever had, the greatest, greatest land, the, uh, the greatest wins, the most wealth that, that the nation's ever had. And they're thinking that when this Messiah comes, he's going to be like David. He's going to kick out the Romans who are in charge, the Roman Empire that's in charge, and he's going to set up the Israelites back in their own country, with our own governance, with our own way of living. But that's not what God did. He fulfilled all these things. But it wasn't a physical kingdom that, that our God set up. That's coming one day in eternity. It was a spiritual kingdom that God set up. 
And the people who are part of his kingdom are the ones who accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, who believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, who have been forgiven of their sin and chosen to follow him. They're the ones who are part of his kingdom. Jesus has got a kingdom for eternity. He is now at the right hand of the Father. Right now he's working by his spirit across the earth. And anybody who comes to him in repentance and faith joins that kingdom. But the fullness of that kingdom we're going to see when he returns. A place called heaven where there's no more weeping or gnashing of teeth with Jesus forever. And so there was a disconnect between what John expected Jesus to do and what John and what Jesus actually did. And I wonder how similar, this, this is the question that he asks, either one or, or should we expect someone else? I wonder how similar we are to John. Remember, John knew who he was. He recognized he wasn't the Messiah. He recognized he was a prophet. He recognized he was the one to get people ready. And just like John knew who he was, if you're a Christian here this morning, you, 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 you know who you are. You are loved by God. You're forgiven by God. You've been accepted by God. You're highly favored and blessed by God. You're part of his kingdom. John had experiences with Jesus. Jesus' baptism, the voice from heaven, the spirit descending like a dove. And if you've been a Christian for some time, you will have experiences what God has done in your life. You will see provision. You'll see his miracles. You will see his move in your life. And just like John, when we get in difficult moments, it's easy for us to get to the place where John did, where we go, hang on a second. Jesus, are you really who you say you are? Is your word really trustworthy? Are you really reliable? When our reality doesn't match up with what we expect God to do, it's easy for us to question. Question our faith. Question his word. Question who God is. Living in the disconnect. Here's the question for you this morning. I, I, I want you to talk to the person next to you about this, and we're going to feed back the answers. Why do you think we live in the disconnect? Why do you think we live in it? Turn to the person next to you. Go for it. Alrighty then. Alrighty guys, what do we come up with? Why do you think we live in the disconnect? Yes, Melody. I think as society is instantaneous gratification and the acceptance of God. Great answer. So Mel just said that we live in a society where we have instantaneous gratification and we expect the same from God. We expect God to move instantly. Great answer. Another answer? Why do we live in the disconnect? Oh, our expectations aren't in line with God's will. Great answer. Another one? Sam? Sin. Yeah, great answer. Say that again, Marcelo? So we get focused, connected with the things on earth rather than the things in heaven. Someone else? Yes, Margaret. Great. God sees the big picture and we only see the small part. Yeah, one more, Steve. We have a wrong view of God. Yeah, I think that's a, I think so let me give you if you're living in the disconnect this morning, and I reckon there's all there's seasons in our lives where we all go through it. 
I want to get you thinking about six questions. They're going to be on the screen. Six things to think about if you're living in the disconnect. Here they are. Do we have the right view of God's scriptures? That's what Stephen just said and what Reese just said. John the Baptist expected Jesus to act in a way that he wasn't going to act. He had the wrong view of Jesus. And we can have the wrong view of God. We can expect God to act in ways that are outside his character that don't line up with scripture. We can have the wrong view of God in scripture. We can talk more about, about that, but we haven't got time. Let's go to the second one. Do we have faith for the breakthrough? Now, we've got to be careful here because the whole breakthrough thing can be, we can make it all about us and all about our faith. And if we have enough faith, then we can get it. And, then, and, the, and on the other side of that, it can lead to condemnation. Well, I'm not getting the breakthrough because I'm a bad person. I don't trust God. So there's two extremes. You've got to be careful. But there is a line in the middle that God wants us to be people of faith. He wants us to be people of faith. The scripture, um, you know, uh, two scriptures. The first one is when um, Peter's walking on water to Jesus. He gets out of the boat, starts to walk on water. He starts to think. He starts to sink. And Jesus says to him, Peter, you have little faith. He didn't have faith, so he started to sink. So we need to be people of faith. The other scripture I want to point out is in James 1. It's, the context is wisdom, but then he makes it bigger than wisdom. This is what we see. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding the fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So there's an element that we need to be people of faith. Do we have faith for the breakthrough? The third one is, are we persistent in prayer? You know, sometimes we, we are pray once and we see the breakthrough. But there are other times where we need persistent prayer. God, Jesus says, ask and go on asking. Seek and go on seeking. Knock and go on knocking. There's, there's a passage in um, Luke chapter 18. Where a, where a, I think it's, is it a widow who has a disagreement with somebody? It goes to court and the, and the judge is described as unjust. The uh, woman deserves justice, but the judge doesn't give it to her. And so the woman keeps going back to the judge and back to the judge persistently. And because of the woman's persistence, she gets the breakthrough. This is what we read in Luke 18. For some time, this is about the, the just. This is about the unjust judge. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about what people think, yet because of this, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come back and attack me. And that's the story Jesus tells. And then Jesus says this, and the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? He will, he will, will he keep putting them off? And the answer is no. I, I tell you, he will see that they get their justice and quickly. This idea of persistence. Keep asking. Keep, keep on pursuing. That's question three. Question four is, are we doing our bit? What's our bit in it? Well, as you read the scriptures... We are called to respond to God. In Colossians chapter 3, an example, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive. That's the stuff that we're called to do. We have our part in breakthrough. Choose to forgive. In verse 14, and over all these virtues, put on love. That's a choice. 
So if we're going to see breakthrough, do you have the right view of God? Do we have faith for the breakthrough? Are we persistent in prayer? Are we doing our bit? Number five, is it the right time? Mel said we expect everything instantaneously, but sometimes it takes time. Yeah? In your life groups this week, um, your leaders hopefully have sent out a text to you asking you to read 1 Samuel chapter 16 through to chapter 31, 15 chapters in preparation. And if you haven't done it, look at your life group and say, why haven't you sent me that? Um, because the, uh, the, uh, the reason I want you to read that is because um, Prophet Samuel goes to David at the age of 15 or 16 and anoints him with oil to be king. David waited 15 years until he became king at 30. 15 years between the promise and the fulfillment. We see Caleb, one of the spies, being promised by God through Moses that he's going to get an inheritance. He didn't see that inheritance for 35 years. With God, time is, it's, is it the right time? And the final one, is it God's best for you? Margaret said, we see the small, God sees the whole. And sometimes you're believing God for a job. You're believing God for a relationship. You're believing God for something that's not in your best interest. You think it is, but it's not. He knows better. He sees better. And so we need to ask ourselves, is this God's best for me? There's six things for you guys to consider. But even after all that, and this is where we're coming to the end this morning, even after we've done all these things, we've got the right view of God. We've got faith for breakthrough. We're persistent in prayer. We're doing the bit we need to do. It is the right time, so we think. We believe it is God's best. Sometimes we, we, are, we are cover all those six things, and we still don't get the breakthrough, and we need to get to the place of saying this, friends, and I think this is really healthy. We don't know why. We don't know why we're not getting breakthrough, and it's okay to stay in that. See, when we're not getting the breakthrough, we can easily think to ourselves, well, God, what are you doing? Like, I don't get it. Maybe you're not trustworthy. Maybe your word's not true. God doesn't want us to go there. Rather, he wants us to go this other way and trust him anyway. To keep believing God, keep pursuing the breakthrough, to hold tight to him, even if you're not seeing it. It's interesting what what Jesus says to John the Baptist in this Matthew eleven forty six, Jesus replied to his disciples, Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. What you hear and what you see. Not what you're not seeing, not, what, not the breakthrough that you're not getting, but rather focus on the things that I am doing. We sang in that song, now that we're going to sing it again, that last verse, God, you're good. It says, and in this life... Should bring suffering. I will remember what Christ has done through Calvary. Yeah? When we go through difficult times, we can get stuck in our thing and what God's not doing for us. Let's lift our heads. Let's look up to what He has done for you and what He's doing in other people's lives. That will build faith. That will build, that will build strength. That will help you pursue the breakthrough that Jesus has for your life. He says, Go back and report to John the blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the blessed, the, 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 the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And then in verse 6, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. When you're living in the disconnect, when Jesus is not responding in the way he wants, that, that you want him to respond, when you're not seeing the breakthrough, friends, you are blessed when you don't stumble. 
You are blessed when you keep going. You are blessed when you hold tight to his promises, even when you don't get it. Even in the I don't know, you are blessed when you stand firm. When you're living in the disconnect, pursue the breakthrough. Keep going after it. Keep doing it. Check out these six questions. Oh, here are the six questions. Keep going through these six questions. Ask yourself, am I doing that? Am I pursuing God? Have I got the right view of Scripture? Ask this question. And if you're not seeing the breakthrough still, continue to trust Him. Keep relying on Him because He is faithful. So here's the question for you this morning. Where's your disconnect? Where is your disconnect? Thanks for joining us on the LifeGate Church podcast. Our church is a place to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers.